Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms to be encouraged, nurtured, and inspired. Also, you'll learn the latest in teen research and trends and get practical parenting tips. You really can improve your relationship with your teen and enjoy the teenage years. Welcome back, everyone, to the 196th episode of Power Your Parenting, Moms with Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. Has your teen ever lied to you? Well, they probably have. But how did you deal with that? How did you deal with their lying? In the show, we're going to discuss four common myths about honesty that makes teens lie more and four strategies that teach kids to value honesty. Besides discussing lying and trust, we're going to talk about all things respect. Have you ever said to your teen, you need to respect me? And what does that really mean? Did your teen respect you more after you told them that? Colleen Doyle Bryant is the author of five books and more than 50 learning resources about making good choices for the right reasons. Her Talking with Teens series for elementary students and Truth Be Told Quote series for teens are used in curriculums to teach good character traits and social-emotional skills like honesty, respect, responsibility, and kindness. More than 100,000 of her Good Values teaching resources are downloaded each year by parents and teachers around the world. Colleen's newest release, Rooted in Decency, looks at why common decency is suffering today, why that's so unsettling, and how society can get back to a shared set of values that promotes cooperation and trust. So welcome, Colleen Doyle Bryant. Hi, thank you for having me on. Well, you have a great name, so that's a good start there. Absolutely, thank you. <laughs> and you spell it the exact same way my name is spelled. I do, after a lifetime of people misspelling it. I'm, I'm thrilled to have a, a fellow Colleen here. Yes, yes. So do you have children and what are their ages? 
I do have children. I have four that I've been in, involved in raising. They are from 16 to 26 currently, and a mix of boys and girls. The eldest two are my stepchildren, which I think is important to note for people because one, it's a, a team effort when you're in a, in a blended family like that. And I need to give credit where it's due that it took all four of us. And also because there are a lot of parents out there now in, in blended families, and it adds another layer of complexity. So I know a lot of the things I talk about come from real trial and error and yeah. in our own family. Yeah. Written two books, Dial Down the Drama and Dial Up the Dream. So Dial Down the Drama, really, I wrote that from she was like 15 to 19. Mm. And so I really lived my book and then Dial Up the Dream. I wrote from like maybe 20 to 25. So, so I have written these books from the trenches. So I get that. Definitely. You're an author of Truth Be Told. And then recently you published Rooted in Decency. So can you tell me why you wrote these two books? Sure. I have a, a range of books from, from children up to adults that deal with how to make good choices for the right reasons. And I started writing when my children were young, when they were, well, I started finding the ideas when they were in elementary school. And then years later, I first wrote books for young children about how to make honest and respectful and responsible choices and to make that connection that good choices feel good on the inside. And the clues we're getting from our body when we feel bad, when we make a bad choice, they're there to help us to grow and to make better choices that are good for our well-being. Then as my children were older, their issues and their challenges changed. So truth be told, quotes came out of those teen years when I found the elementary version of those lessons didn't work anymore. And I found new ways of talking to teens. And then rooted in decency is, is almost the adult version. If we look around at society today, for all that we teach our children, they should be respectful and responsible and honest. There are a lot of adults who aren't really practicing what we preach right now. So rooted yeah. in decency was a, a look at why is that happening? How does that affect us? And how can we move forward to a new place, a, a place of more trust and kindness and cooperation? Mm -hmm. That's great and needed. So what are four common myths about honesty that makes teens lie more? Ah, well, the first thing to know is that teaching your teen to be honest starts when they're young. And a lot of parents seem to have this idea that they don't need to call young children out online. That, oh, maybe the kid doesn't know any better. They're just too young to understand what they're doing. But we as parents are there to help children understand the difference between reality and fiction. And especially when they're young, a lot of times they're, they're telling a story or sometimes they're lying to protect themselves, but they need to understand that there's a difference between when it's okay to make a story up and when it's necessary to tell the truth. So we start when they're young, ignoring lies when they're young is not a good idea. And if you haven't set that precedent, you're showing them that they can blend whatever versions of events they want to happen, what they want to convey to you. So that progresses then to when they're a little bit older and parents will say something like, oh, well, I don't want to call them out on lying because it's going to hurt their self-esteem. It's going to make them feel bad about themselves. This is a really dangerous position to take because when we're not helping children connect, that feeling bad is often related to the fact that we've done something that's not in our own best interest. It's not good for our well-being. 
So we're kind of breaking down their own internal guide that tells them, oh, if I'm feeling bad about something I did, that probably means I should consider doing something different and take a path, choose different ways of dealing with things so that I can get back to a positive sense of myself. That's really important for developing self-respect and mental wellness later in life. So the next big one, I think every parent has been in this situation, is that the child does something, does some wrongdoing, and then they lie to cover it up. Mm -hmm. And so what do you do? Do you address the wrongdoing or do you address the lie? And studies show that 98% of parents will ignore the lie and only manage the wrongdoing. The reason this is a mistake that may encourage your child to lie to you even more is you're basically setting a precedent that they have nothing to lose by trying to lie to you. So ignoring the lie to cover up the wrongdoing says next time you do something you oughtn't do, you might as well give lying a try. Mm -hmm. So that may not seem like such a big deal when you've got a five-year-old and they're lying about something inconsequential, but when you have a teenager, that can be really problematic. Mm -hmm. Uh, finally, the last one is this idea that a harsh punishment will keep kids from lying. And the studies show that it actually has the opposite effect. So if children know that they are going to be punished severely for lying, it says to them, I better protect myself and I'm just going to get better at lying. I'm going to be more clever. I'm going to stick to my story no matter what, because mm -hmm. to get caught would be too impactful. Right. No, I see that all the time in my practice. In fact, yesterday I had third one that you said, had the mom talk about the issue. She didn't bring up the breach of trust. Mm. So I redirected it to talking about the importance of trust and that her lie really depleted that trust bank. Exactly. That's the real value of honesty. And if we want to teach children not to lie, we kind of need to shift our perspective to teach them the value of telling the truth. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest factors is trust, is that if you want to be able to go out when it's little kids, it's do you want to be able to go to sleepovers? Do you want to go over to your friend's house? Do you want to walk places independently? Then I need to trust that you're going to be where you're supposed to be, that you're going to be honest about what you're doing, that you're going to make good choices. And I can, I can trust you know how to behave yourself when they're teenagers then that trust factor becomes even more important because the sorts of things they can do when you're not around, which is most of the time they spend is not with you. You need to know that they will behave in a way that is safe for themselves and that when they get into trouble, they're willing to come to you and tell you the truth so that you can help them. Right. Now, this girl hadn't gotten her driver's license yet. And so I talked about the importance of trust and connecting it to being able to drive. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, teens don't always connect the dots. They don't. And I think some of that is their own brain development. Right. You know, the mm -hmm. way that their brain is, is rewiring itself at that age. One, they don't see risk as well. as an Right. Adult. They also don't see options as well. They may not consider how different courses of action would play out. And so it's important for us as their parents to help them with all the perspective and experience we have to say this action could lead to all these different chains of events. And here's the impact that that could have on your life, on your family's life, on your sibling's life. And it helps them, the team, see that they're not isolated in their own little bubble, that each action they take ripples out 
and may have dramatic impacts on other people they care about. Yeah, no, that's true. And then the last one that you talked about, if it's, so how did you say it, it was like too harsh? Yes, harsh punishments encourage kids to become more clever liars. I've seen that over and over again, that then teens are afraid to talk to their parents about the truth. And that puts them in danger if they feel like they can't tell their parents the truth. I absolutely agree with you. We had a friend of ours give us wonderful advice at one point. He said, you want to be the parent that your child will come to and know that you're not going to freak out. There are still going to be consequences for their actions, reasonable consequences, but they need to know that you aren't going to freak out. They can come and they can you know, share their burdens with you and that you'll help them. Yes, absolutely. So what are the four strategies that teach kids to value honesty? Well, we touched on one of them, which is this idea that trust is built on truth. And they are going to want that freedom in the future. So when we help them see there's something in it for you to be building a reputation over time with your parents, with your teachers, that gives you the benefit of the doubt and gives you future freedoms. The other is a little we've talked about in terms of this connection of good choices feel good and bad choices feel bad. Because psychologists do research and can, and can show that when people lie, they feel a twinge of distress that lasts even after the lie occurs. Then there's all that guilt, and then there's all that worrying about being caught, or even worse, the moment you have to face the music and look someone in the eye and, and admit that you have lied. Those are burdens to bear for teens. It feels terrible. So it may be intimidating in the moment to tell the truth, but then there's this brief moment of discomfort that passes and then you know you've done the right thing and you get that pride, that expansion that says, I did something difficult and it was the right thing to do. And now I can rebuild a positive sense of myself. That's a much more pleasant place to be than this nagging sense all the time that's weighing on your conscience. That's really good. Yeah. What's the third strategy? So the third one has to do with teaching kids the importance of actions and consequences. Because when they, when they understand that they can create their own outcomes, good choices, good outcomes, bad choices, bad outcomes, it gives them, it gives them a sense of, one, their self-respect, which we've talked a, lot of, a little bit about. But the other is, the, is agency. It gives them the knowledge that they are in control of their own lives. And that is hugely important for their mental well-being, which I'm sure you know as a counselor. And that when they're facing a stressful situation, they may not be able to dial down the stress, but they can dial up the agency in the sense that I can take an action that is in my own best interest right now. Mm -hmm. Which of course, the fourth one is my favorite technique. And it's because now that my kids are teens or older than teens even, I saw it play out and it works. So let me tell you my favorite little okay. technique. When your child does something they're not supposed to do and then lies to cover it up, what do you do? You separate the wrongdoing and the lie. And both of them can have a consequence. Mm -hmm. But you incentivize the truth telling. So for instance, let's say you walk into the room, you know your child has done something they weren't supposed to do. Don't present them with a situation in which they're likely to lie to you. Instead, present them with the option to tell you the truth. So it might be something like, I know that you should have stopped playing your video game by now, that your timer should have gone off, but you're still playing. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to tell me 
why your timer didn't go off and why you're still playing. If you tell me the truth, there'll be a consequence for the fact that you're doing something you know you're not supposed to be doing. If you lie to me, there's also a consequence for the lie. So maybe if they tell the truth, they lose their video game privileges for a day. If they lie to you, they lose it for three days. I so love that. Realize that it's in their best interest to tell the truth because even though that moment it's uncomfortable, it's less uncomfortable than it will be if they lie about it. So good. Moms, listen to that. That's really, really good. Yeah. I laugh about it now because my, my teens would come to me and say things like, now keep in mind, mom, I'm about to tell you the truth. I've done something and I'm going to tell you about it, but that means the consequence should be appropriate only for the wrongdoing. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. I think another role that moms have with their teens and lying is helping them. Well, you said that around consequences, especially around relationships, mm. because girls cheating on their boyfriends or girls lying to their friends, or then there's the text. And I don't think teens really think about how lying impacts their relationships. I mean, we think about that in terms of parenting lying in the parents, but there's also this whole web of lies that teens do with their friends and boyfriends and girlfriends. I think this all comes back to the connection of actions and consequences, because when you show children or, or any human, the actual consequence of their actions and the ways in which they've caused harm, we have a caring instinct. We've evolved to have a, a natural ability and desire to care and prevent harm. And when we show consequences to people and they see the harm they've caused, they tend to react with, ooh, yeah, that's, that's not good. I should change what I'm doing. So when we help teens see that there is another human being on the other end of the things that they're doing, and how is that other human feeling? What impact are they having on that person? It helps activate that empathetic response that says, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be treated that way. I wouldn't want to feel that way. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a lot better or a more effective way to get people to change their behavior than things like shame and punishment. Yes. And I think teens in terms of their brain development and developing empathy need that. Yeah, they need the evidence. So I think one thing we parents, we tend not to notice as much with teens as we do with, say, toddlers or young children, maybe because they seem older, is that a lot of life is brand new for teenagers. We've been around the block. We've seen how these things turn out. We've seen lows turn into highs, and we've seen bad situations and good situations. All of these things are brand new for teenagers at the same time that, the, that their brain is rewiring and they can't necessarily anticipate different courses of actions and, and different outcomes. So when we're showing them, if we're doing it in a teaching and a coaching way that says, look at how this action created that consequence. And now let's really look at that consequence. What does that feel like? What sort of ripples have you sent out into the world around you? Mm -hmm. And how has that impacted real human beings? I think it really helps them understand in a way that maybe they're with the way their brains are at that point in time, they just can't even conceive of on their own. Right. No, this is so good. So what are some of the unintended consequences of white lies? So let me just tell a little story. I remember my daughter is maybe five or six and she had her little best friend in the back of the car 
And so we'd be driving down the street and she would point at a restaurant and she said, I've eaten there 15 times. Mm -hmm. And she might've eaten there one time. She's definitely trying to one up her friend, but I would just say, well, that's actually not true. You've only eaten there one time. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about these white lies? Well, white lies in general, when we tell them, they need to be for a reason. We need to have a good intent in doing them. And they need to not have a significant negative consequence to respect or responsibility or compassion. So that's sort of lie where it's a bit of an exaggeration. You know, it's not a, a huge moral wrong. It's not like they lied about where they were and they could have gotten hurt. It, it, it may seem like, well, that's not really a big deal. But at the same time, we've talked about this idea of a reputation, a reputation for being trustworthy. When we look at human society, we are individuals, but we're individuals who live in groups. And our whole life is possible because of the relationships that we have. And the ways that we work with other people, we develop trust and we are fair and we cooperate and together we create our lives. I mean, you think about it, get up in the morning, how much of your life do you actually do by yourself that impacts nobody but you and can be accomplished by no one but you? Very, very little of life happens that way. So the unintended consequences of these white lies is that it affects people's perception of you as someone who's trustworthy? Are you someone they would trust and feel would treat them fairly and that they would want to cooperate with? And if you're not, that makes life really difficult for a social creature like a human who needs other people. Yeah, no, that's so true. So in your book, Rooted in Decency, you talk about respect and why it's important. Can you talk about how you define respect and why it's important? Mm. Respect is, is an interesting thing because I think people tend to think that respect means uh, when you treat someone well, that you think well of that person. When you look at the real meaning of respect, it is that you're treating something with appropriate care because of something you value. And it may not be that person that you value. It may be some other principle or concept. So for instance, if you treat someone who has a different opinion with respect, it doesn't mean you're agreeing with them. It doesn't mean that you think a lot of them. It means that you value the concept that people should be treated with care and that all humans deserve a level of dignity. So for our teenagers, this means things like, when you speak to me with a tone or with words that are unkind, you're showing me that I'm not worthy of care and dignity. Mm, that's good. Yeah. I found with, with my own children that I had to help them see that I was a human being with feelings. And if they valued our long-term relationship, then they needed to care for that relationship and treat me in a way that showed they valued the long-term, not just getting what they wanted in the moment, not just venting whatever frustration they had, but that it was worth being a little calmer, being a little kinder, so that even when this moment passes, we haven't done any sort of damage that can't be undone. Mm -hmm. So how do parents teach their teens to respect them? Well, first is to set a good example. Yes. <laughs> so if the idea of respect is that we're treating something with appropriate care and dignity, 
because of a reason. Mm-hmm. And we should be treating our teen with care and dignity to show them that all humans are worthy of care and dignity and that we think our relationship with them matters enough that we'll control our own words and our own actions to demonstrate the fact that we care about it. Yeah. One time I had a teen come in and her mom had really painted a very negative picture of this girl. And she was ADD, but was very bright and smiled and lovely to be in my office. So I asked her about her relationship with her mom. And she said, well, we fight a lot. It doesn't feel good. Mm. And I said, well, can you tell me a little bit more about your fights? And she said, well, I'll show you. So she had on her phone videotape a bunch of her fights. Wow. And so mom was a very professional, well put together woman. But what I watched was the girl was sitting on the floor And the mom was stomping. All I could see were her legs stomping back and forth, yelling and screaming like, you don't belong in this house. You should live with the neighbors. And the girl was saying, mom, stop it. Please stop it. Please stop it. When I'm talking to moms, I use that illustration because I think there is a behind the scenes view of our life. I talked to moms about if someone was videotaping how you're communicating to your kids, would you want others to see that? Wow. That's a good, that's a good point. So part of what I hear in that example in particular is a bit of a a misunderstanding that I think some of us have about how to communicate that we'd like a change in behavior Mm -hmm. in our teens or, or anyone for that matter. And it's actually something we're seeing on a societal level at this point to where people may not even realize what they're doing. So what I'm talking about is the difference between addressing an action and a consequence, which as we mentioned earlier, means you see the result of your your actions and you say, oh yeah, that's bad. I I should change my action, be less hurtful. That's different than shaming. So when we're saying something like you shouldn't be here, what's wrong with you? How could you have even thought that was a good idea? Words like that, you know, you should be ashamed of yourself, that's disgraceful. All those sorts of words don't say there's something wrong with what you did, they say there's something wrong with who you are. You are fundamentally as a human being. So a parent who's saying that to their child is sending that child a message that you are fundamentally messed up and I don't think you even should be part of this family or society. That is devastating. Yes. Yes. Coming from someone who's supposed to love you no matter what. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So a little change in wording, a little change in approach. Yeah. All the difference because shaming does not get people to change their behavior. Right. One of two things, right? It's either going to, someone's going to internalize that and Mm -hmm. it's a a terrible impact to their sense of self-worth or Mm -hmm. They're going to react with defensiveness and anger mm-hmm. and they're right. wrong. And they're going to turn away from the source of that criticism towards someone who will tell them they don't need to be ashamed. Right. So if a parent is shaming their teenager to try to get them to change their behavior or turn away from a group of friends who are maybe leading them into trouble. The result of shaming that child is they are going to go deeper into the friend group who tells them there's nothing wrong with them. They're going to push away from the parent, not turn toward them and and try to behave in the way the parent thinks would be better. Right. I think a trap that a lot of moms fall into is that the end justifies the means. 
but the means, if they're shame, like you said, it's destructive, it's devastating. And so I think the means, just to tie this together, is respect. I think a lot of times moms are focused on teens respecting them, but what does it look like for moms to respect their teens? One perspective I think that helps in this area is to recognize that we can't make our teens do anything. All we can do is guide them, lead them towards the choices that they need to make for themselves that are for their own well-being. So respecting them means understanding where they're coming from, what is their motivation, how are they thinking, what do they really want? And if their goal in life is to do X, it's our job to show them, well, here's how what you're doing is going to help you get there or is going to hurt you getting there. And then it's up to you to make choices that help you get where you want to go. So one is coming from this place of leading and guiding as opposed to commanding. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say is we have to pause as parents and ask ourselves what, what we really want and whether what we're doing is helping get there. Mm -hmm. If we're venting at our child, if we're, if we're berating them, if we're shaming them, that's really about satisfying our own emotional state. Right. It's not helping us achieve our goal of helping our child grow to be an independent, healthy adult. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I guess the bottom line of that is is a little more self-awareness that your actions have consequences too, and that you can help your kids see how their actions lead them to the positive consequences you hope they get to. Yeah. So just tying even back further, what we're talking about is I think one strategy of getting your team to respect you is that you respect them. Yes. And it's all around helping people identify what it is they value, what it is they want. So Mm -hmm. moments of respect tend to be these, um, these emotional reactions. I'm sorry, moments of disrespect, I should say, are our emotional reactions where if what we value is the future of our child and their well-being and that's what they value too, then we're Mm -hmm. both going to come into this with a different perspective. It's less about the moment and the emotion, and it's more about how are we working together? Mm -hmm. How do we have trust, fairness, and cooperation so that we can work together for shared well-being? That's like the fundamental way that humans interact and have relationships and and accomplish anything. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this stuff is so good. And Maybe I'll have you back because we didn't get into (laughs) responsibility, but this is so helpful. Thank you. Yeah. I think the thing I'd like to share with you moms is that it's really easy for us to see what our kids are not doing or what's wrong and we worry about them. So I think maybe sometimes we don't, we forget what we really value in them. I love to have moms write down three things every day, which is What are you grateful for in your teen? Where do you see movement in them? And what do you delight about them? Because I think when we see the value, their value, their unique self, who they are, that helps us respect them. Do you have any last advice for the moms listening? Anything about honesty, trust, respect? You know, I'll tell you a quick anecdote that I heard recently one of my children was in a class and they had a discussion around 
whether people have free will. And every single student, except for two, said that people do not have free will. It doesn't matter what choices they make, that they're destined to a certain outcome and lot and treatment because of who they are, how they were born. And to me, that was devastating. Because yes. I feel like the whole thing I try to teach is that you have control over the outcomes in your life. Sometimes you have to choose between a rock and a hard place. Sometimes you have to choose to do things you don't want to do. But either way, you're making a choice that helps you along toward the outcome or the well-being that, that you're striving for. So in our teens today, if that one class is indicative of a broader understanding of life by teenagers today, it's no wonder there's so much mental illness. Because to go through life thinking it doesn't matter what you do, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what choices you make, you're fated. It robs you of meaning and purpose and agency. Yes. So I would say, moms, understand you can't make your kids do anything. You can only help them see how they can make choices and why they would want to make those choices so that they know they have power in their own lives. That's great advice. So how can moms find out more about you and find your books? Well, on my website, ColleenDoyleBryant.com, there are links to, to all the books in the series, which includes the one for adults rooted in decency, the, the one for teens, Truth Be Told Quotes, and the one for young children, which is the Talking With Trees series. So there are books and there are teaching resources and journaling and lots of different ways that you can explore good choices in your own life. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me on. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning best-selling books, down the drama, reducing conflict, reconnecting with your teenage daughter, and my newest release book, Dial Up the Dream, making your daughter's journey to adulthood the best for both of you. You can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com. And that has two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.